The following program is being brought to you on the 7th Wave Network. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit 7thWaveNetwork.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit VoiceAmerica.com. The views and ideas expressed in the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. begin your spiritual journey, you are often told what to do and receive advice on which path to follow. But as you move along, eventually you need to become your own guide. Progress can be difficult at times, but once you reach new levels of awareness, the inner vistas are spectacular. Welcome to Nurturing the Spiritual Spelunker in All of Us. Your guide and companion is Giles Asselin. Come join us now on this path of exploration. Here is your host, Giles Asselin. Yes, good afternoon, everyone, or good morning, or good evening. Uh, bonsoir to those in France listening. Bonsoir à ceux qui écoutent en France. I believe there are some of them. Merci, thank you. And um, welcome, welcome back to the show if you listen to one of the previous episodes. Uh, this is episode number six. And uh, I'm planning to talk about the light today, the light with a capital L. There's light all around us, but also there's light, um, I think, primarily, the, primarily the, there's light coming from within us. And it's, it's possibly or most likely the, the kind of light we are afraid of, the light um, that comes from within us and brightens our path. But um, to start with, in a sense, as a foreword, um, I would like to share uh, my reason for being hopeful this week. Um, I'm looking at the calendar, and next week, I think, is a, from an energy point of view, I think it's a very special week. It's a very special combination. On Wednesday, uh, the, the 18th of February, is Ash Wednesday. Uh, it, uh, if I'm not mistaken, it's a, it's a Catholic celebration. Uh, I used to be ra- I was raised Catholic, uh, even though I can't remember anything about Ash Wednesday. But um, to me, it signifies uh, some sort of a dying. I mean, when you talk about ashes, and that's also coincidentally, in a sense, uh, the end of a of a lunar year. Because on the nineteenth, uh, we start a new lunar year. So we have a combination next year, next week. Sorry, about ending something, and then the next day about beginning something. Something. No, no. The all is dying in my, in a sense, in, in my perspective. And something new may be given birth on Wednesday, on Thursday, or sorry, the, the day of our next show, or my next show. Right? So I feel it, it carries a special connotation, a special, a special spiritual connotation. I think it may feel like, like something like a portal, you know, something that we want to close in our lives. Um, it doesn't have to be a, a rough transition and, and leaving a job or leaving someone that we can't really... Uh, stand or live with anymore, but I think it, it could be um, something more subtle. I don't have any special abilities. I can't look into the future. I'm not a clairvoyant. I'm not a clairaudient either, um, but um, this week and this combination of the 18th and 19th um, really, um, really called me. I mean, I, I've been playing with these dates for about three or four days, and, uh, and, I, and I can't see 
why it wouldn't be a special week. Um, again, at times, there's new beginnings in our lives, and we, can't, we don't really realize it. Uh, it, just, it just happens uh, in, the, in the undercurrents of our lives. And, uh, and then a few days or a few weeks or a few years later, we realize, oh, that's when it started. So I just wanted to bring your attention to these two dates next week. Um, so we are a few days before, almost a week, five, five, six days before those two dates. So if you'd like, I mean, pay attention to what, what is gearing up um, towards the 18th and the 19th. Obviously, the first thing on the calendar is uh, Valentine's Day on Saturday, but that's, uh, it may be something of a diff- very different, uh, more commercial nature. Um, so... Just wanted to say that as an uh, an aparte in a sense, and and um, since we're talking about rising frequencies, I mean the light is is a frequency. It's a it's a vibration that is available all over the world, all over the planet, and it's uh, it's also as I said coming from within. So when these two kind of energy mix, you know, as above, so below, uh, something is meant to happen. I don't know exactly what, uh, but I think something is. And I wanted to start talking about the light. Um, you know, there's nothing uh, coincidental in a sense, but I was browsing a website this morning and I came across uh, a quote by Abraham Lincoln, uh, president of the US uh, some time back. And the quote reads, I am not bound to win, but I am bound to be true. I am not bound to succeed, but I am bound to live up to the light I have. I will read that quote once again because I thought it's pretty mystical that it uh, fell uh, before my eyes this morning. I am not bound to win, but I am bound to be true. I am not bound to succeed, but I am bound to live up to the light I have. And, and I think it really encapsulates uh, this notion of light and at the same time this notion of a, of a mission purpose. I mean, call it uh, whatever way you want. I mean, uh, and, and, you know, reflecting on why is it that we came into this world at the time and the date where we were born? Um, was it just to live a life on earth? Um, possibly, but is there anything else? Is there more to it? I mean, there's obviously uh, two aspects. Uh, one of them is the material aspects, the things we are doing, the things we are so-called achieving in our lives, the jobs we get, the people we marry, the, li- the, the kind of life we live, uh, the social beings we are, because we are all usually all attracted to, to join social groups of many kinds. But on a more personal and a more, more spiritual uh, level, why is it that we came into being? There must, be, there must be a reason, uh, the reason where we, are bound, where we are bound to live up to the light we have. So I will, uh, I will leave you in a sense with this quote for the, for the next um, few minutes until the end of the show. It may resonate in you. Uh, it may not, and feel free to, to come back to it. What I wanted to, to say talking about how this show or this title came about. Um, about a week ago, I was in conversation with someone on the West Coast in Canada, and we were discussing this idea of, of light and this idea of love. And uh, to some extent, I think when I said, are we doomed to love? She was seeing things um, 
in a more personal slash pessimistic uh, way, which is not the way I was was meant to be in my mind, but obviously every interpretation is possible. And, and we engaged in a conversation, and, and for this conversation, she told me about the kind of work she was doing and uh, the kind of work she is doing. And she's a healer, and, and she heals people, uh, people's, uh, I would say, people's blocks. And in retrospect, that it's very much the blocks that, that block us, the blocks that we have in our lives that prevents us from, from moving forward and from moving forward towards the light towards the light that is available in our lives. And, and I think um, the work she's doing is just, you know, very much needed. And um, I was very grateful for, for being in touch with her at the time. And because of that, uh, the title of the show for today changed. Initially, I was going to say, uh, I was going to read the show, the title of the show by Freedom, for Fe- Freedom from Fear or Fear of Freedom. And it turned into, why are we afraid of our light? In French, pourquoi avons-nous peur de notre lumière? And, and obviously, if we want to talk about the light, the light that comes from within, and if this light is not coming forward, or for whatever reason, if there's difficulty along the path, I think it's a good idea to reflect on why is it that the light is not coming forward or upward. And a lot of times, and some of you may agree with me, a lot of times it has to do with fear. What are we afraid? Afraid afraid of what? Um, there's many different kinds of fear. Um, afraid of my light, I don't know if I can relate to that because I'm still not quite uh, knowledgeable about what my own light is all about. I think it's becoming more and more uh, palpable for me, but I'm not at a point where, where I can see my light. And yet it shines, I would think, I would think, I would hope it shines uh, a little uh, more brilliantly, brilliantly every day. So talking about fear, you know, why do we have these kind of fears in our lives and why is it that they are blocking our progress towards the light? Um, I, I don't know. I don't know also why are we afraid of our light. The, 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 most, uh, the most potent fear that came to mind when I was thinking about this, this episode is the fear of being scolded. And it goes back to my early childhood with all the yelling going on in, in my house, in my home, in our home, with my mother, you know, doing so much yelling, especially at, at, at dinner time. I mentioned that in episodes number two and three, I believe. And um, it's interesting how this kind of fear gets imprinted. And the fear of being scolded has to do, in my case, with being scolded because I would be late coming home, coming home for lunch or coming home for dinner. Uh, I've witnessed so many, you know, so much chaos uh, happening because of my brother was late. That, uh, and sometimes also, I'm sure, because I was late. That, um, this fear got imprinted at a very, very deep level. And even 40 or 50 years later, I can still relate to that fear. My mother is 87 now. I mean, it's going to be 87 in two weeks. But uh, she doesn't yell anymore. Uh, She's much more mellow and her mind is not as sharp as it used to be. But uh, still, it's it's hard for me to dissociate myself with what I lived um, 40, 45 years ago in our home. And what what, what was this fear, this thing of being called, uh, blocking my progress, 
I would think so, but I, I don't really know. Um, so it's one of the fears that I, um, that I reflected upon while um, pondering about this show. I'm sure there's many, many more kinds of fears. Um, the point of, of this episode today is not so much for me to talk about my own fears, but possibly for you to reflect on which fears are running um, low or under in your life. And, and the challenge in here is that fear often is, is unconscious or it's right beneath the surface. And unless someone points out to us, you know, what is, what is going on in our lives, what they can see happening in our lives, I think it's very difficult to, to put your finger on, on a specific fear and something lurking in the background in a sense. And sometimes a, a good service we can do to the people around us is, is to ask uh, pretty bluntly, if you want, if you wish, what are you afraid of? And, and you know, are we afraid of the light or are we afraid of the darkness? And what does the darkness mean to us? So these are questions. Again, questions I'm not, I'm not there to answer. Um, the idea again today is to give you um, a sense of what kind of fear you know, exists in your life. Why is it that if you have to take one step, I mentioned earlier on this quote that I learned somewhere that uh, a journey of the thousand steps starts with walking the first step. So if we don't take that first step, how are we going to get to number 999? Um, it, it boils down to again, to getting going and to getting started. So I wanted today to talk about transformations, I guess, because um, I see transformation happening on, a, on many levels, on planetary levels, on socioeconomic levels, on institutional levels, and certainly government levels in the next few months or next few years. I mean, we have to, to gear up to a more civilized level of, of humanity in a sense and stop all these chaos, all these wars going on. And I was reflecting on the different kinds of transitions going on in my life. And I was, you know, asking myself which of these transitions had to do with the light. And was I really afraid of the light when I considered those transitions? Some of them I did I didn't even know what I was doing. I was I was listening to a a nudge within or to an impulse or to um, possibly an instinct. Uh, one of the first most uh, meaningful transitions that I did, that I walked in a sense, was about 25 year years ago when I decided to come to the U.S. I moved from, from France, uh, was living on my own at the time. I had prepared that move for quite some time. I had applied to um, three or four universities in the Midwest and eventually one um, admitted me, a small one called, um, it's based in Wisconsin, called Oshkosh. But that was at the same time, I think it was sort of a spiritual transition in a sense. It was, um, it was the beginning of my flying on my own. I was moving out of my own nest. Again, I was living on my own, so I wasn't living my, my family's nest. But... Uh, it was certainly a very, a very big transition, a very big step across the pond, across the Atlantic Ocean. And um, what prompted, in, in many ways, um, one of the reasons why I moved to the U.S. to study uh, 
was the fact that I wanted to be away from my family and especially away from my mother. I had many opportunities to, to reflect on, on the reason for that move. And uh, I can tell that um, moving away had a lot to do, moving away from my family. And, uh, you know, in retrospect, I can, I can say that I'm very grateful for what happened in my, in my home, again, 40, 45 years ago. Because without that, um, I wouldn't possibly, I would have stayed in France. I would have moved to a different place in the country. And I would have come to, to the U.S. to pursue what I, what I would consider now my light, uh, what I was uh, very dimly shining at the time. So even though the light, I wasn't conscious, I wasn't aware of the light within um, at the time. But um, I, think, I think that I made the move that I was meant to be, I mean, what I meant, meant to do. And um, 25 years now, after the fact, I think uh, I made the right decision. And so many things happened. So many things opened, uh, starting with the, the dark night of the soul, that very interestingly, uh, occurred to me maybe a year, a year and a half after I moved to the U.S. So I was preparing myself for, for some sort of an opening, some sort of a, of a conduit in the sense that it had to be, um, and it needed to be uh, propped open. So that was one of my, one of, of my uh, transition. There's been... Um, there's been many others um, that I will be talking about um, right after the break. Uh, some of these transitions might be more professional. Uh, I experienced uh, a couple professional transitions and um, I wanted to talk about them right after the break. But by, by leaving France, in a sense, I was, I was leaving behind the work I was doing at the time. I was living behind um, the accounting work. Um, I studied what I was in France. I was studying. I studied accounting and finance, and I worked in in a couple uh, accounting firms. And I became also what we call the uh, expert comptable, certified public accountant. And that was a fairly good job, a fairly well-paying job. But I realized within a year or two that I wasn't made for for checking the debit and the credit. And I think a question that, uh, that made a lot of sense at the time for me is, um, you know, am I making a contribution to society by the work that I am doing? And I was working at the time, I was working in financial audit, uh, and, and the work I was doing to me was, was nonsense. I was, um, I was like a cop. I was on people's back checking, checking their, their practices and making sure they didn't make any, any error. Uh, and to me, that wasn't a very, a very constructive, it wasn't a very um, enlightening form of work. And it's something that I happily, I had so many nightmarish stories about that, I guess, about not contributing to society. And I'm so very happy that I left this kind of work behind. And it was obviously um, fairly easy for me once I was able to cross the pond to, to shed that, that skin, that accounting skin. So this is one of my transitions, and I will um, talk about others uh, after the break.
Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Now there's a new destination for video content. VoiceAmerica.tv. Just like our radio channels and so much more. Voice America Variety, Health and Wellness, Business, Sports, Green Talk, Power Up Motorsports, and 7th Wave Network now have their own video channel components. Plus, check out exclusive programming, including movies, music, educational courses, science and history, current events, and short features. High-definition, premier-quality programs available 24-7. VoiceAmerica.tv. If you think you've seen online TV like this before, let us surprise you. Are you looking to advance spiritually? Listen each week for Spiritual Enlightenment, Advancing One's Wisdom. Your host, Medium Maureen Allen, will cover an array of spiritual topics aimed to help you advance your soul's desired growth. Each week, areas of spirituality will be discussed and explored ranging from strange, paranormal experiences to heaven, spirit guides, and angels. To learn more about the other dimensions and how to better assist your path of evolution, tune into Spiritual Enlightenment, Advancing One's Wisdom, every Tuesday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time, 7 p.m. Eastern, on the Voice America 7th Wave Channel. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network live wherever you go on iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. listening to Nurturing the Spiritual Spelunker in All of Us with Giles Asselin. To reach the program, call in to 1-866-472-5795. That's 1-866-472-5795. You may also send an email to seeking at nurturingthegift.org. Now, back to the program. Hello, this is Jill again. Welcome back. Thank you very much for listening, for sharing your light with us today. I guess uh, we can do it virtually, certainly. So I was talking right before the break about my, my in a sense, my first professional slash geographical transition across the pond, across the Atlantic Ocean. And um, I think it was a transition, a transition of becoming someone else, um, the perspective in, in France and in Europe, you know, is like we're, we're coming to a new world. So in a sense, by going to the El Dorado, um, a spiritual El Dorado, I would say, we have the, the possibility of becoming someone else. And it's a bit of the feeling that I've had all these past 25 years that I've been living in the U.S. that we often say, we often say here that, excuse me, the, the sky is the limit. And it's very much what I sensed, you know, that possibly less than in other countries or cultures, the U.S. is a place where people tend not to judge about your different moves. They are not going to tell you like they do oftentimes in Europe, don't do this, don't do that, you're going to fail, you're going to be miserable. Be careful, I told you so, you were going to fall. That's very much what I would hear in my French ear back home, you know. People are not risk takers, and, and oftentimes they will tell you, you know, don't do this because you're going to be in trouble, and then I will have to pick up the pieces. And it's obviously not the best way to give confidence to, to a child or to a young adult that is, that is seeking a, a new kind of life, a new kind of experience. So it's really that uh, the feeling I've been, I've been getting here, that um, this feeling of newness, 
Possibly because North America, I don't know much about South America, but North America is a fairly, you know, recently populated uh, continent, uh, the, the Native Americans aside. And I think there's a, also a feeling of a space, uh, so much space in this continent that so much possibility in a sense. And I think it's a combination of things. If you, if you go to Europe, there's so little space, especially obviously in large urban areas, that you feel crammed. Uh, if you go to a restaurant in Paris, most likely you will be stuck next to your, your neighbor, in a sense, to your next um, guest. In the U.S., it's not so much the case, I guess. There's so much uh, unexplored territory, uh, so much wide open space. And um, even though we live in a fairly urban area, it's a feeling that pervades, I think, people. And I'm, I'm very grateful for that feeling and for that ability to explore. Um, so what I've been, that's what I've been doing for the, for the past, at least more, more consciously for the past 25 years, exploring this, this one wide open spiritual space um, in the U.S. Again, uh, not being judged by other people uh, for what I do or for what I want to do. Be all you can be, I guess. It's something you, you often hear in the U.S. So that leads me to my, to my second transition, and this one was purely, purely spiritual. And I won't say much about that because this, this is a story that I, I mentioned in, the, in my first episode, when I, one that really defines me. And, and this idea of living the, the Buddhist organization that I was a member of for, for about 20 years, I felt like I was living in a golden cage. And then suddenly I popped the door open because of my willingness to, to look outside the cage. And I realized there was a world out there. And, and there's a world that was open to just anyone. And why is it that I'm talking about that very specific organization when usually very few people live, there's a few exceptions, but when people leave that organization, especially when they have responsibilities, I was at the mid-level, um, the leaders of that organization tend to keep things very, very quiet because it's, it's doing a disservice to the organization. But there's a world out there and there's a world of freedom. And, and again, I go back to that quote that I had for the show initially, freedom from fear or fear of freedom. And I think the reason why some people who might be able to lead the organization might be willing to don't do it it's because they are afraid. They are afraid of the freedom that they would possibly get outside the cage. Outside the cage, there's so much freedom to explore and again, to be who we are and to be the light that we are. That, you know, in the end, so few, so few make the move and you, you remain stuck. You remain stuck in the structure. You remain stuck in your network of friends. These are good friends, but these are not friends who are going to push you up in a sense. These are not friends that are going to, to tickle your wings. Your wings are ready to fly. And if you don't activate those yourself, nobody's going to do it for you. So you may want to look around yourself and see, you know, see how much structure, how much, um, sometimes how much rigidity there is in your life, in our life as well. Uh, and it's a very much a factor that, that prevents us from, from flying out of the nest or flying out of the cage and in the end um, taking risks. There's always risks uh, associated with, uh, with a new venture, with, uh, with freedom. And maybe we are 
in a fear in the fear about our light, we are afraid of that freedom. We are afraid of taking risk uh, because we were told by our parents, or we were told by our culture, or we were told by our institutions that um, failure is a bad thing. And um, again, in the U.S., you learn so often that about the lessons. It's okay to make mistakes, I guess. Don't make the same one twice or three times, but at least it's very much okay to make mistakes and in the process to learn from them. And I think it's a much more and it's a much more uplifting perspective than it is in other parts of the world where you tend to get punished for your mistakes. And um, it's something that runs very deep. I think it runs very deep in the terms how we raise our children. Are we instilling in them, you know, this idea that mistakes is bad and that we cannot learn from our mistakes? I guess it's, it's, uh, it's a very pervasive um, belief, I guess, that the mistake is a bad thing. So I've been trying to learn from my own mistakes. And more recently, um, what I left behind... And this is a transition. This is a very different kind of transition. This is also slash professional slash spiritual. But for the past 20 years, uh, I would say until the end of next year, last year, uh, I was working in the field of cross-cultural relations or intercultural relations. And I was doing training. Um, 20 years to me is a long time for for working in a field. I've never worked in any field longer than that. And the work we were doing was pretty interesting. I guess, you, you know, you get, uh, you get to talk about cultural patterns, the way, what culture does to us, the way cultural layers, uh, uh, imprints layers on us. Um, culture being a lot of things. It could be our family culture. It could be our society's culture. It could be our educational system's culture. And... Um, there's a lot of layers that we are not aware of because the process works very, uh, very unconsciously. You get one layer after another, you know, by going to school, by seeing your grandparents, by going out with your friends, by doing so many things that every time we do or think about something in our own culture, we get, we get a layer of paint in a sense, a coat. And uh, it's very interesting to explore those layers and to go into what we call uh, cultural self-awareness. You know, what does does culture do to us? It's uh, it's a very interesting process, and we have to, to some extent, we have to to live somewhere and to be in touch with a culture, be it the Chinese culture or the Argentinian culture. I guess it's there's rules and there's the laws of the land, so it's something that also we need to to run our lives. But uh, insidiously, I guess, it leaves a, a mark. It leaves a mark on us. And so that was what I was exploring personally and, and with our students, with our trainees for about 20 years. How does culture molds us? How does culture um, imprints on our, its layers on us? And we have, we have a very interesting metaphor in the field, a metaphor we came up with with my colleague Ruth, uh, the metaphor of default mode. A lot of these layers are imprinted or painted on us uh, through the concept of, again, institutions, families, schools. And eventually we, we do work uh, by default in a sense that we do things and we don't question those things anymore 
because people around us um, are just doing the same. So there, there's no reason to, to, to challenge the norm or to question the norm. It's only when we come into contact with a, a different kind of norm because it's a different culture. Uh, it could be a national culture, but it could be a different schooling culture. It could be a different grading culture. Um, when I was getting graded in school in France, I was graded from 1 to 20. And the passing grade is uh, 10 out of 20. So if you read the midpoint, 10 out of 20, you're safe. In the US, the grading tends to be from A to F. And F stands for failure, interestingly enough. And it goes A, B, C, D, and F. Why is E missing? I don't know. But it's a different grading culture. And so there's cultures and norms all around us. I guess we, we need those to, to survive in a, in, a, in a fairly rational environment. I'm not questioning those. What I'm questioning or what I was questioning for all this time is what do these norms uh, do to us? And how do they mold us into who we are? Uh, and, and very much so, how do they, do they hide the light from us? Because these are not, I don't think these are not spiritual norms. These are much more, again, material or cultural slash, uh, slash rational norms, I guess, um, that makes us uh, function in society. But as you know, you know, society does, does not encourage us to go within and look at what's going on in our, in our, in our cave, in the cave of the heart, doesn't encourage us to do much spelunking. So that's what I was questioning all along, and it came one time, uh, it's been a long time already, I think it was in 2002, uh, with my colleague Ruth, we wrote a book, a book about French-U.S. Uh, cultural relations, um, aimed mostly at the Americans living and working with the French, and we went to France that year, in 2002, to promote the book. And we, we like did a, a tour, we organized the tour ourselves, but we went to very different cities in France, Angoulême, uh, Grenoble, Lyon, um, Strasbourg, even Paris. And we came at our own expenses. So it was, again, pretty expensive. We had to pay for accommodation, meals, and uh, the car rental and all these things. And um, in the end, I think we had a a good audience um, every time we presented, but we sold so few books. I think at times we, thought we sold maybe three to five books. People were interested, they had questions, and they came to talk to us. Some, some of them, being French, they came to criticize us, of course. But um, and as part of the experience, as part of the cultural norm, I think I mentioned that last year, last, uh, last week, the criticism is very much part of the not of the light, it's pretty much part of the culture and it's part of the norm and you have to expect that in some cultures. Um, people enjoy putting you down and not so much putting you and lifting you up. So I, I started questioning myself, you know, we, we spend so much time, so much money, so much effort, you know, driving around France. Um, we had almost one presentations every night. And in the end, we sold so few books. We didn't get any new business. And I said to myself, what am I doing this? Um, am I, I don't know, it's not that I'm masochist, but um, I would really question, I was really questioning the fact that um, maybe I wasn't doing the right thing. And and I don't know, I didn't get any answer, but I think it was like a, a leading thread in my, in my, in my life, 
Again, I'm talking about 2002, which means 13 years ago. And that's when, uh, you know, that's when the story began, uh, in a sense, that the story of, of questioning my, my being, uh, first and foremost as a professional being. But um, I'm glad I kept, I kept weaving the story with my life. And uh, interestingly enough, I mean, uh, by, by the time we came to 2007, 2008, uh, our business picked up and suddenly we had much more business because of a large client and we were very grateful and, and maybe I thought it was a sign that um, we are meant to do this kind of work and, and I didn't know I think I was I guess I was open to to the question and to the answers that that would come and then came the so-called global crisis in 2009 and then I was much more into my my personal journey, my spiritual journey, I think also because I, at the time I was already on my own, I had left the, the Buddhist organization and things started to unfold in a very different, in a very different way, in a very different direction. I remember one day, I think it must have been in April of 2010, three days in a row, we lost one client. On Tuesday, I learned about one client living the second day, on Wednesday, I went to New York to talk to a colleague, and she told me about this specific company not doing business in the U.S. anymore. And this, 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 this organization happened to be one of our clients. And on the first day, I don't know what happened on the first day, but I think uh, another client left us, or at least I learned that uh, we were not getting any more business because one client had decided to go with a, another provider. And I started to think about myself, wow, three signs in three days and three big losses for our business. You know, this is really a sign, a divine, a divine sign. The universe is telling me something here and I better, I better listen. Uh, it's not that I did anything special, but uh, I kept listening. And sometimes the signs come and sometimes they don't. And I think what is very um, mind-boggling in a sense is that sometimes you have to wait for a long time and, and nothing else comes and you still have to wait. So you find yourself, at least I found myself, in, in a state of, of, of in-betweenness. You know, nothing was coming. I wasn't sure if I was to, to keep going with the business and do some marketing. And, and I never got any answer um, except I listened within and something else eventually, something else came, this, this uh, proposal for this offer to do a show on, on Voice America came and I was very grateful. But um, again, sometimes the signs are not very clear. So if you're looking for a very specific sign, you can certainly ask questions to the universe or talk to your spiritual guides, whomever you are in contact with, but there's no guarantee that the signs are gonna come. So that's what I would like to, to, to end this little story about my last transition. And I will, I will pick it up um, again after the last break. Thank you. Your favorite Voice America Talk Radio Network shows and hosts are in your car, outdoors, and wherever you need them to be. Listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. 
The latest business information is made simple with the Voice America Business Network. The professionals in the business world bring you live talk radio shows featuring an array of business topics, strategies for building wealth, sales and marketing, stock trading, investing, and business technology. Voice America business hosts are professionals in their fields and bring to the airwaves weekly business discussions that offer up-to-date information, advice, and education. The Voice America Business Network. The bottom line in business talk. Could you be the next legendary leader? That question hinges on your courage and willingness to change. Join Maria Danley every week for Legendary Leaders Answering the Higher Calling. Be inspired by stories and legend and listen to legendary guests along with live channeling to help you answer your higher calling and become the legendary leader you are destined to be. The world is waiting for you. Step up and join the wave. Tune in every Tuesday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America 7th Wave Channel. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. listening to Nurturing the Spiritual Spelunker in All of Us with Giles Asselin. To reach the program, call in to 1-866-472-5795. That's 1-866-472-5795. You may also send an email to seeking at nurturingthegift.org. Now, back to the program. Yeah, this is Jill again. Welcome back. Thank you very much again for listening. I was talking right before the break about my one of my last transitions, um, coming out of the field of uh, cross-cultural relations and moving into moving into something else. And that something else is still not clear to me. So I'm moving into something, and it's pretty much what I would call the unknown. And um, you know, how do I do that? How did I do that? How do you do that? Um, how did I do that? Um, for one thing, it's a difficult question, but for one thing, um, you have to be patient. You, you may keep asking for, for answers, and the answer may not be coming. And I remember for the past two or three years, I was quote-unquote suffering from one thing, and the one thing I was suffering from is lack of clarity. I knew that my business was, I wouldn't say the word dying, but what was going away. I wasn't meant to do the work I've been doing for the past 20 years. This didn't make any more, any more sense, any professional sense, and certainly not any more spiritual sense. The suit that I was wearing then when I was a cross-cultural trainer was way too, too small for me. It was way too, too narrow, and it felt um, simply outdated. So I knew I had to move to move on to something else, uh, except that something else is um, is still not clear. So, what do you do then? Uh, again, I think it's important to talk to to people around you and to get support, uh, especially people who understand your your path and your challenges and what you're trying to accomplish. And if you look out, you know, if you search for, for support and resources, you're going to find plenty of it, I'm sure. You're going to find people. You're going to find resources on the Internet. You're going to find books. You're going to find 
tons of information and a lot of synchronous um, things will happen to you to tell you that you're on the right path. You, you may not have anything tangible uh, to do or, or to orient yourself towards, but uh, again, um, there's signs. It's a question of being able to read the signs, but the signs at times, they can be pretty loud. Uh, like meeting new people out of the blue. Um, something that I felt also in the past few weeks, in the past few months. Uh, some people I was, I used to be close with, uh, close with, uh, kind of disappeared. And there was no more, it's like the glue dried out in a sense. The glue between me and those people dried out. And on the other hand, I met so many more new people. Um, by just going to different functions or meetings or Facebook also has been a great place for me to meet people and to connect with like-minded people, like-minded people. And so there's a lot of things you can do if you want to, to connect to, to what you feel is next. Uh, another question that comes, and it's a very practical question, and I'm sure that many of us has that question is, I know when you wait like this, uh, how do you put bread on the table? How do you pay the bills? And that is a, that is a big question. And I'm not saying you should uh, ignore that question or, because it's, it's a real question. And, and uh, I can talk about my own situation, our own situation. We have been pretty fortunate here. Uh, even though I will, I won't give you any financial details. <laughs> but uh, it's it's no, it's an important question. Uh, and, and sometimes you look out for for a new job. I think about a year and a half ago, I, I was going to quote unquote reactivate my business connections in the accounting world, and I, I sent out an email to a, a local accounting firm, and I tried to sell myself, you know, to see if I could get a job part time, and I didn't get any answer. And that was the answer. No answer was the answer because I was going, I was going backwards in a sense. I realized that, and yet, you know, there was something in me that, you know, obviously wanted me to get some some tangible revenues every month. And when you don't, what do you do? I mean, can can you spend your life waiting? Um, this is a big question, and again, uh, it's not one which is very easy to to answer and to explore. I think also um, one thing which is when, when we are confronted with those fears and with those very basic questions um, about putting bread on the table, I think two elements uh, are very important. Um, one is the one I already talked about, the element of, of the, the, the quality of, of self-love. Uh, if you're really loving yourself, there, there's something within that sustains you. I don't know what it is. I mean, love is obviously an energy, an energy that, like when I was talking about grace a couple of weeks ago, it's an energy that comes from within, that again sustains you. It burns from within, so there, there's heat, in a sense, from within. There's, um, there's something that keeps you going because, because you love yourself and you support yourself. Uh, it may be a strange thing, but I think that's the way it works. It's, it's like you keep refueling yourself because of what's burning within. And um, it keeps you going. And, and the other thing, the other element, I think, which is very important, 
and which is, which is very closely connected to self-love, is self-confidence. When you know you are doing the right thing, you know, you, you work at it, and, and, and you count on, on you primarily. I mean, you, some people may come around you and ask questions, what are you doing now? I'm not doing anything. I'm doing in trans- I've been in transition for two years. Okay, but what are you doing now? I'm in transition. And, you know, despite of what you hear around you, um, bes- despite the lack of professional identity, in a sense, I think it's important to, to keep, you know, to keep walking, to, pe- to keep going, and to, to reassure yourself that there's, there's some light uh, at the end of the tunnel. There's a place for you to be. There's a place for you to, to go to. And, and I think, in retrospect, it's not much a question of doing something. It's much more a question of being something. And it's a question of, of discovering for yourself who you are meant to be. And I think that's what the light, which is within us, is trying to push us towards to. I mean, towards the being that we are. We, we are beings of light. I think I've been hearing that so many, so many times. Um, the question is, how do we get in touch with that light, which is within? I have many examples around me. I can think of people, and I can sense some of them I know better than others, but I can sense some of their, I would call it, issues or challenges. And for whatever reason, they don't seem to want to go into that, into that area of exploring their challenges. And, and I respect and honor that. Um, at the same time, you know, how can you be the person you're supposed to be if you don't take, once again, that first step? If you don't move towards, um, towards um, your healing path? You know, it reminds me of the discussion I had I mentioned earlier on, the, the discussion I had with the, um, the healer on the West Coast uh, in Canada, and she said some people are just happy the way they are, even though their suffering may be, may be bearable. It may be bearable. It sounds more like a status quo. And, you know, why would you change the status quo? It's something I can handle. It's not always pleasant. I have some repetitive patterns that are uh, uh, blocking my life, in a sense. And I don't want to... I don't want to go into this kind of work because, because what happens on the other side? You know, the freedom that I may be feeling uh, could be very threatening suddenly. So, so I realized that it's, it's a block. It's a big block in our lives. And, and, and if you feel a block like this, I think it's important to find companions on the path. Again, this idea of spelunking and going within... Um, you, you may need a, it's a different kind of light, but you may need a lot of light. You may need your own light if you're wearing a helmet. The light coming from your torch or coming from your helmet. But I'm sure that um, the light you're getting from your companions on the path is very helpful. And I've never said that it's okay to go within on your own. Of course, it is in terms of your own life. But I think it's important to have guides to have uh, companions, uh, teachers possibly, whoever you, you consider a teacher or not. Um, I've been working for two years with a, a coach. I think I mentioned that between April 2011 and April 2013. And um, 
The person's name is called Lev Nathan, and he's based in, in the woods in, um, in New York State. And what he allowed me, we were meeting once a week on Skype. So, you know, we have a virtual world that we live in. It's very easy to, to do things from your home, from the comfort of your home. And what he allowed me to do is to, to explore my inner landscape. And that's what we did for, for a good amount of time. I think the first few sessions, maybe for six months, uh, were focused much more on my own healing and my own issues. And I was surprised to see, you know, in 2011, there was still so much left from my childhood. So much, so much debris, in a sense. Uh, so much, uh, quote-unquote, rubbish that I had not had a chance to, to take care of. And it's amazing how much came out. But once that was, once that was cleared, then the, the path got open and I was able to, to go much deeper into my own psyche in a sense. And again, he allowed me to explore my own inner landscape and he took me for a series of, of seven sanctuaries. And I, I'm mentioning this now because there's one sanctuary I would like to mention, or one experience I would like to mention next week. And it's something that happened to me around, around Ash Wednesday in 2013. Uh, this was maybe two months before I stopped working with that coach. And I had a very, a very mystical experience, which is both about, which is both about, excuse me, which is both about death, death and dying, spiritually speaking. But, and, it, and it's also about rebirth, about rising from your own ashes. And, and the vision that I had then was very, very mystical over the course of three days. Uh, one, the very beginning, the very first vision I had was the day before Ash Wednesday. And then Ash Wednesday happened, nothing really special. And then the next day I had a session with my coach and I had sent him some notes. Ahead of time I was, you know, sending him what is it that I want to work on. What questions do I have? And I could send him also a little summary of what the kind of work, the kind of homework I did during the week. And, um, and then on the first day, we did a, a vision session together, like a vision quest. And we returned to the place where I found myself on Tuesday, the day before Ash Wednesday. And the vision was, was totally different. And... and um, this was pretty amazing. Um, how much can happen in two days once you pass, uh, once you pass sort of a portal? Uh, and a portal is possibly, it may very well be what, what will happen next week uh, between the 18th and the 19th. Again, I can't tell you for sure, but I, I will pay close attention to those energies flying around. There's been so much uh, energy poured onto the earth in the past um, I think in the past two and a half years, since December 21st, 2012, that I think it's a very, um, it's a very important time. It's a time we need to take advantage of, in a sense. And um, I would encourage you to do this if you have you know, thoughts about the future, thoughts about a new life, or, or possibly you know, plans of action. I think it's a, very, um, it's a very good time to think about it. And the last thing I would like to mention, and maybe that's the way I will, I will, um, I will start my show next week, is um, a document that I got from my coach, again, Lev Nathan. He talks, about, he talks about the seven principles of living my heart's purpose. 
Uh, and it's very much, you know, like living according to your light. And there's a series of seven questions or seven statements that um, he gave me. It was like a homework for me. He gave those to me so that I could explore them. At the time, I didn't have that much of an answer. The first one says, I am here for a reason. Why am I here? The second one is, I have a unique gift. What is my gift? The third one is, I need to give my gift in order to grow into my full potential. Why do I need to give my gift in order to, for me to grow into my full potential? The fourth point is, my gift is essential. The world needs my gift just as much as I need to give it. The fifth point is, I am giving my gift right now. And the world is impacted by the emanation that I am vibrating in each moment. The point number six is, I honor my gift. I initiate myself into living my gift in the world. This is a self-initiation. And the seventh point, the very last point, is I live my gift in the world. And the world is a different place because of it. And he called that self-activation. So I will leave you into, into those words. It's almost like a, a plan of action that I never, in a sense, used. I may be somewhere along the lines of that plan. But it would be very difficult for me to, to answer those questions in here. Especially the, fir the first one, I'm here for a reason. Yes, I get a sense more and more every day, every week, every month of why I'm here. But why is it specifically that I'm here? I, I couldn't tell. It's so difficult. I have a unique gift. Yes, it's a gift of light. But what do I do with the light? What do I do with my light? I think it's a question for all of us to the extent that we can see that light. Why, how do we use it? And there's so many different ways. I mean, raising a child is a beautiful way of using our light. So I will, uh, I will get back to that statement next week. And I will, um, I will see if I get and get a copy of this document and post it on my, on my blog. The blog, again, is uh, nurturingthegiftofseeking.org. nurturingthegiftofseeking.org. Thank you very much uh, for listening and I will see you next year. Thank you for joining us on Nurturing the Spiritual Spelunker in All of Us. Your personal journey, assisted by your guide and companion, Giles Asselin, will continue next Thursday at 12 noon Pacific Time and 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America 7th Wave Channel. Be sure to tune in again.